Well, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Axis Blockbusters pod. This is, I believe, lucky number episode 13. If you're new to the channel, welcome. This is the official podcast of the Access Blockbusters YouTube channel. And guys, it's been a while. It has certainly been a while. Well, I mean, I guess if you've been watching the channel for the past several months, it doesn't look like I've been gone. There have been videos posted onto the channel. If Basically, long story short, um, I've been away for a little bit, just not being, not being able to make videos. And so uh, I've been posting some videos that have been uh, made in advance, videos that can... Uh, basically stay relevant uh, even uh, even when I'm not able to make videos. But uh, now, over the summer, I am back. Uh, we are here. And this, this well, today's podcast is going to be a big sort of catch-up episode. Um, basically, the format of today's podcast is going to be a series of five spoiler reviews. Um, yeah, I am going to try to fit in five basically in-depth, full-length thought spoiler reviews into this one episode, um, and I will be cutting them up into smaller videos and posting them onto the channel, probably onto the sa- on the same day, uh, if not over the next few days or so, um, and so that there will be separate videos if people just want to hear my individual thoughts on one of these projects and they don't want to watch the whole podcast, which if you don't, then that's your loss, I guess. Just kidding. I don't know. Um, but that is always an option for you as well. Um, And speaking of this, well, today's podcast, we're going to try something a little bit different. Um, I took some inspiration from uh, Christian Harloff, movie reviewer on YouTube. And today's, well, what we're going to try is maybe a little bit more casual, uh, live sort of format. Obviously, this is a pre-recorded podcast. So if there need to be cuts, I will be making cuts and things like that. But what I really wanted to do is just sort of make this a little bit more... uh, like live, you know, just kind of as things go, go with the flow kind of a podcast. And so there will be uh, very minimal cuts. If there's background noise, I apologize. We just kind of have to deal uh, with with whatever that is. Um, and what I also decided to do, uh, again, taking inspiration from Christian Harloff, is, you know, for those of you who are watching the podcast on YouTube, I, I kind of felt bad because in the previous episodes, I would just kind of throw up my Axis Blockbusters pod logo or something like that, or the thumbnail of the video and, and just kind of call it a day. I, you know, I would assume that if you're watching on YouTube, maybe, um, you would just be, I don't know, having it open on a separate window and and doing other things. Um, but in case you're, you know, interested in looking at something, um, as we're going along here, uh, let me just double check that this is working. Let me see. And boom, we are good to go. Yep. Okay. Um, and as you can see, uh, we have some visual aids. I know, isn't that crazy? Um, so I, I created a little series of images that will help kind of guide me along um, as we go throughout this podcast, kind of help me talk about uh, you know what I want to talk about. And it'll also give, give you give you guys something to, to look at if, uh, if that'll help. Um, I don't know if this will be helpful at all. Um, if you guys find this distracting, if you guys find the the clicking and the keyboard and the sort of live format and the off the cuff sort of you know way that we do the podcast in this episode distracting at all, or uh, you guys don't like it, um, then let me know and uh, we'll try to uh, spice it up or do something different. It's it's always a struggle to you know find the best way to to make a podcast episode when you're just kind of going solo because you're always kind of wondering do people actually enjoy listening to me talk for an hour and a half? Uh, I really don't know the answer to that question. So 
Um, we're just kind of going with it and seeing what happens. So that is the long-winded introduction of me saying, welcome back, we're back. Um, and without further ado, you guys already kind of saw that, but let's let's talk very briefly about what the, uh, the summer and the uh, months ahead look for the Access Blockbusters channel. So, I mean, first of all, Thank you all so much for continuing to support me um, as, as I kind of go through periods of, of you know, extra busyness and, um, you know, just working on, on other projects and things like that. I, I have talked about this time and time again, so there are plenty of other videos on the channel um, talking about what I, you know, where I am at that certain point and what the future of the channel holds. Um, and so I won't make this a separate, you know, segment or a separate video. I just wanted to quickly touch upon it and say that uh, for the foreseeable future, I'm thinking that the summer will still be podcasts, just like I did last summer. It's again, it's just it's a little easier for me to kind of produce and prepare for um, and edit and things like that and release in a timely manner. Um, and we, and we also get to kind of keep up with with everything that's going on, especially because things like uh, Obi Wan and Miss Marvel, Thor: Love and Thunder, Black Adam, um, you know, She Hulk and Andor, and all these sort of things are coming out uh, over the next few months. And so it's it's good. And Stranger Things four is wrapping up, so um, it'll be good to kind of keep up because really what this channel is, like I've said many times, is is more than anything else. I I mean I appreciate all of you guys so much, um, but if I really if I had zero subscribers. Um, it would still be the same, you know? This channel is just a a way for me uh, to just just talk about what I want to talk about and give my thoughts and kind of just have a, have a record of what I think about certain things and my thoughts on movies and thoughts on shows and blockbuster media and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it uh, this channel will kind of always be that for me, I think. No matter how big it gets or if, if I lose all 700-some subscribers tomorrow, it, it'll still be be that and I want to you know I want to keep it that way um so yeah the podcast will still sort of be the main uh brunt of of content coming this summer um and there will be some videos sprinkled in obviously uh, I'll be working on those um and again you guys will have to let me know in the comments you know whether you like this image sort of thing that we got going on here um if there are other ways for me to help uh, make the podcast more interesting, bring in guests, I don't know, you know, bring in segments and answer more questions and things like that. Uh, today, I wasn't able to, to compile any questions for the the Axis Blockbusters pod, but for the future weeks, there will absolutely be uh, question and answer portions as we go along. So yeah, there is that. And uh, as far as videos go, so you guys have been kind of noticing, um, you know, we're kind of going through cycles, right? Like the summer is sort of the podcast where I kind of get to catch up with you guys and and talk about things that are going on currently. And then sort of during, you know, the fall, winter, and the spring, we kind of have some videos coming up and things that I've been working on over the summer. And I anticipate that'll be pretty much the same here. Uh, we just wrapped up our rewatch of the Spider-Man films, which was really fun, guys. Thank you so much for watching those videos. Um, made something like 10 to 12 videos and gathered something like 200 to 300 views and it was just it was great it was great to hear all of your thoughts on all of the spider-man movies as we watched no way home together and celebrated that which was awesome um so for this year i'm thinking that as the summer comes to a close and again that's very far in the future um this video by the way will be coming out around thursday or friday just to let you guys know so um yeah i'll uh i'll anticipate posting this maybe I'm hoping by Thursday, but if not Thursday, then Friday, um, recording it on Wednesday. So just full transparency. But, um, anyways, as the summer wraps up, um, 
We will be doing, I'm hoping that I'll be able to start another rewatch series and have all of those videos recorded and edited by the time that uh, around September comes and we can have those videos, re videos ready to go. Uh, just to give you guys some insight into how I choose what I wanna rewatch and how I wanna make those videos, it really has to do more with series that have a definitive close or a definitive break, if that gives you a hint. Because, um, and, and another video that has been getting a lot of uh, feedback as to you know when's the next, uh, next part coming out is the ranking literally every single MCU character, which I loved making. It took a lot of work, a lot of time, but it was amazing. Um, and I will absolutely be making a second version of that video because I mean, my gosh, there have been, what, 10 to 15 new Marvel projects that have come out since then. Um, the problem with that video, though, those kinds of videos and these rewatch series is that um, those videos take a while to make and release, you know. Uh, when I started the Spider-Man uh, rewatch, that when I first put on Spider-Man 2002 and started watching it, and, um, uh, uh, you know, from that moment to, to when Spider-Man No Way Home came out it was a long time, you know. And um, I knew I could do that, though, because I had the time until a next Spider-Man movie was coming out. Um, if I make the, the next ranking literally every MCU character video right now, uh, by the time that video has come out, it will already have been outdated. So I'm waiting for a good kind of marker, if you will. I'm really hoping that Kevin Feige comes out at uh, D23 and announces when the definitive end of phase four is so that I have a date to eye on of when I can start working on it. So that way I can make, you know, ranking literally every single MCU character part two, uh, parentheses, phase four, something like that. So all that to say, the next rewatch series will be something that either has ended completely outright um, or more likely, hint, hint, wink, wink, uh, doesn't have any major uh, content coming out for at least the foreseeable future so that I can give myself enough window to, to kind of keep those videos as fresh as possible. Um, I've spent way too much time talking about the future. Let's talk about the present. Or actually, let's talk about the past because, uh, like I said, we have five spoiler reviews um, of MCU projects coming, or the, uh, not MCU projects, what am I saying? Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, the slides that I've listed of, of projects, movies and television shows that have come out over the last three months and that are coming out right now. And uh, without further ado, yeah, let's, let's just dive right into them. So the first spoiler review, and if you guys, if I didn't make it clear, these are all spoiler reviews. So if you haven't seen um, any of any of the following, uh, all of Moon Knight, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, uh, Miss Marvel episode one, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one through four and Stranger Things for volume one, then uh, you can skip around. You know, these will all be uh, individual spoiler reviews um, and you can listen to whatever one you want. Obviously, there will, like I said, will be separate videos coming out over the next couple days uh, of those of those reviews. So if you want to watch them separately, you can. Um, but again, these will be full spoiler reviews. This is going to be the only time I say that. So just, you know, keep that in mind. Let's talk about Moon Knight. Uh, so Moon Knight was a show that came out, uh, I believe, in mid-March, uh, mid to late March, and uh, continued all the way basically up until Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, Moon Knight was a show that just looking at the trailers, I was just so excited for. Um, you know, it promised that kind of 
uh, gritty action you with with like looking at this image like the psychological thriller with the mirrors and the, the split personalities and and the multiple identities and, and the intrigue and then you also had the sort of cosmic side to it like here with the uh, the moon knight costume and and that scene at the end of the first trailer of him uh, really beating up that what we know now to be sort of a, an egyptian spirit jackal or whatever uh, from amit um in that museum bathroom and you also had you know Khonshu and and everything like that so i mean really um i th i had thought and I, I i think this with almost every single mcu show to be quite honest and i think they do a good job with this we'll talk about that more with miss marvel um of differentiating their shows right like every show is so wholly unique and so wholly different that i I just, you know, every time a trailer comes out, even She-Hulk, which, by the way, I won't talk about the She-Hulk trailer in much depth. You can go to the community tab of my YouTube channel to check out my thoughts on the trailer. Um, I, I didn't love the trailer. I really didn't. Um, but you can't deny how different it looks from everything else in the MCU, a legal procedure. Uh, Moon Knight being the psychological uh, thriller uh, with some supernatural elements and Miss Marvel being a teen comedy coming of age, um, all with sort of that superhero tilt. And it I was just super excited. Uh, the first couple episodes were phenomenal. Uh, to me, Moon Knight episodes one and two are some of the best MCU content I think we've seen in quite a while. Um, I would, you know, I, I said the same thing about Loki episodes one and two, to be fair, uh, but I do stand by that. You know, I recently actually did rewatch all of Loki. Uh, my thoughts haven't changed a whole lot on that show. This isn't a Loki review, but I, you know, I promise this is relevant in the sense that, uh, Loki was wildly inconsistent, right? It started out super strong, and it really took a nosedive. It kind of went back up, and then it went back down. You can go watch my reviews for Loki, all the individual episodes on the channel. Um, so, you know, it's kind of sad because I watched the first two episodes of Moon Knight, and I go, yeah, I mean, this show is, is really good, right? Can it last? And... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but to that to that effect, it, it seems like Marvel is almost following a trend, you know, having really strong opening episodes like WandaVision did, like like Loki did, like Hawkeye kind of did, Falcon Winter Soldier kind of did, um, Moon Knight did, and Miss Marvel does so far, uh, kind of dipping the third episode. Um, to me, the third episode of WandaVision, not as, not as great as the first two, uh, Loki, I really didn't like the third episode, I don't even remember what the third episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier was, to be fair, um, was that on Madripoor? I don't remember, um, third episode of Hawkeye, don't really remember, that might have been the Echo episode, um, third episode of Moon Knight was the one with, uh, uh Midnight Man, rest in peace, um, to the actor who, who played him, he, he passed away just before the show came out, that's really quite a shame. Um, really quite tragic, but, um, yeah, and then the third episode, so the third episode happens, and I'm like, okay, you know, this, this show is, is, is good, it's fine, um, like, not the show, this episode, um, and then we go to episode four, and it's sort of this tomb raiding adventure, which a lot of people really loved, um, I wasn't as big of a fan of it, just because it was such a tonal shift from the first few episodes of being that psychological thriller, um, I'm willing to sort of, well, I, that's not to say that I don't appreciate a good tonal shift in a show. I think that it can work very well, like WandaVision did, of course, but it was very intentional in that series. Uh, episode four of Moon Knight kind of felt like it was just, you know, sort of a tonal shift for the sake of a tonal shift. Um, and then it kind of goes into the, where's that picture? There we go. And the asylum, 
right? And it, okay. So I, I mean, I have a few thoughts about the asylum, but just to just the, the, the long and short of it is I thought it was a really interesting concept if they were able to explain it correctly, because the idea that this all might've been taking place in Mark Spector's head, or that there is some sort of underworld duality here with episodes four and five, or that the real world is the real world. I thought, okay, it's a really brave concept. It's a really interesting idea. If you can explain this really well, I'm on board. This has the potential to be one of the best MCU shows ever. We got, th no, not that. Wait, where am I going? Uh, we got this instead, um, which we'll talk about in just a second. But um, the fact that they weren't able to really explain what happens here, and, and if you guys have like a really robust explanation of the asylum and what it was really supposed to represent, please let me know in the comments. I understand that this is some sort of manifestation of the underworld in Mark Spector's head. What I don't quite understand is really the Dr. Harrow part of it. How, what, what is that supposed to represent? Because the show gives off so many mixed signals. Like when he gets drugged, um, it seems to be an indication that the, this asylum that we're seeing in this picture is because of the medications. Um, and then the, you know, obviously Dr. Harrow is trying to talk to him about all these sorts of things that aren't real. Like the hippo, he's like, oh, it's a hippo rhinoceros or whatever. That's funny. Um, and then he goes back to that, you know, that that version of reality at the very end of the show. And I I just couldn't help but but wonder what that really was about. You know, it's like, what what are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to make of that? Is that sort of a, a way of him coping? Like his mind trying to say that this isn't real and then him finally accepting, that no, this is real. I, I don't know. Part of me had really hoped seeing that, that we would kind of stick to this really dark reality of, of nothing is real. And this is really just some guy who's dealing with mental struggles, mental health, mental health struggles. Uh, the MCU wouldn't do that. Not in full. Obviously episode five of the show is, is amazing because of, of Oscar Isaac and, and the way that they portray disassociative identity disorder in such a, you know, respectful and, and, and sensitive way. But, um, just, just the idea that Marvel, still has to have Moon Knight, the character, be a part of the MCU. Even though this show is disconnected, you know that Moon Knight's going to show up in the Halloween special or Midnight Suns or whatever. And it kind of prevents the show from being it just a well-rounded, you know, connected show, to be quite honest. So, you, you know, that was a bit of, excuse me, that was a bit of a bummer um, to me, honestly. And yeah, I just... It's it's hard for me to kind of, you know, accept that this crazy twist happens when they weren't really able to, to explain it well, in my opinion. Uh, and then we, we get this. And look, giant CGI monsters battling in the sky. It, like, we, you know, all of the MCU finales have not been amazing, let's be honest. Um, I, I think the WandaVision finale, even the WandaVision is amazing, in my opinion, was not great. The Falcon and Winter Soldier finale was pretty lackluster, in my opinion. Loki finale, I really didn't like. Hawkeye finale was just okay. And this is just another okay finale to what could have otherwise been just a phenomenal show. By the way, nothing to take away from Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac deserves an Emmy for this show. I, it is just some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life. And um, 
the fact that he just really went for it in that way, I I just cannot applaud him enough. But um, seeing Amit and Khonshu battle it out as giant kaiju in the middle of Egypt, it, it really took some of that bite out of the show that it had. Um, and I just, I felt a little bit dissatisfied with the ending. You know, we'll talk about another show uh, later on in this episode that really knows how to stick the landing. And that's what really makes it just that much better of a show in Stranger Things. Um, the Marvel shows just really haven't done it. And that's why I, we're what, five live action shows in going into a sixth. And I, you know, I can't help but be nervous every time I see a great first episode because I go, what are we heading towards? You know? Like, what, where are we going? Um, is it going to be a, a massive disappointment yet again? I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll get to Jake Lockley at the end of this segment, but um, I wanted to touch on a couple other characters. Obviously, Arthur Harrow. Ethan Hawke was just wonderful. Um, he brought that charisma. I, I didn't love how he just ended up having his staff and shooting laser bolts at the end of... Um, what is it? Of of the, the, the series finale. He was just kind of, you know shooting purple laser bolts out of his staff and that was a little disappointing but ethan hawk gave one of the more charismatic performances as a villain i really wish they did explore him more as a character i you know again we've talked about this before the six episodes have to have to stop it has to be at least eight if not nine ten episodes long and each episode has to be at least 45 minutes long i don't care marvel um i'll talk about this a little bit no actually i'll talk about this now part of the problem with the mcu shows is that there's too many of them and duh there's too many of them but one of the underlying problems with that is that look by by having too many shows enter production at once and having them kind of churn out like pieces of content it doesn't allow you the time to really develop a story and really develop characters the way you want them to like stranger things took three years to come out stranger things four and it shows because it shows the level of, of care and quality that has been put into that one show versus these 10 shows that are coming out over the next two years. Um, it's a side point, but I think it makes itself known here as well with Ethan Hawke. Uh, now, May, uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Um, I don't have it up here. I, I don't want to try to butcher it, so I'm just going to call her May or Layla. Um, the actress who portrays Layla, I think she did a good job. Um, a lot of people were really raving about her performance. I thought she did a very fine job, very good job in the role. And I actually really, really do like that they, they, um, made her a, a, uh, gave her a leading role as the Scarlet Scarab, I believe, is what the, uh, superhero alter ego is. I think that that's really great. Um, I think that if they had kind of just left her as the, the love interest, um, the sort of determined love interest who has a past with, with the main character, it, it would have been a little, it would have been much more... Um, boring and and just you know just another cliche thing to put in a superhero project but the fact that they gave her powers while also kind of being ironically a cliche superhero thing i think worked i think worked well uh, i was actually very happy to see her kind of suit up here with to, to wear it and have this really cool costume i hope uh, that she and Mark kind of get to go on some adventures in the future. I don't know if that's possible anymore with the whole Jake Lockley thing, but uh, I, I think she did a good job. I think Layla was was a good character, not a great character. I think um, that the actress May did a, did a really good job uh, with what she was given, so I was happy about that. Um, and finally, before we head out on to... No, I keep, I'm going the other way. Where am I going with this? Uh, before we... Yes, okay. Before we end uh, this spoiler review and move on to Doctor Strange... 
um, in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, and I, by the way, guys, I understand that I'm really late on these reviews. Like I said at the beginning of this video, um, I, you know, this is just about me putting my thoughts out there for you guys to hear if you guys even care to hear about it. If one person listens to it, if nobody listens to it, that's fine. It's just me talking about my thoughts. So that's why, you know, I'm still talking about these even though it's been about a month since they've come out. But here they are. So um, Jake Lockley. Uh, I Part of me is is really intrigued by the, the decision to have sort of the final battle with Harrow and Moon Knight kind of be off screen with Jake. Um, part of me also thinks that this should have been part of season one and season one should have just been like 12 episodes, honestly. Um, so part of it intrigues me. Part of it really frustrates me, to be quite honest with you. Um, and I, you know, I think that if they're going to explore Moon Knight in a season two, that is just Moon Knight still. I think that's cool. I think if Moon Knight next appears in Midnight Suns or something like that, that this just becomes very confusing to me. It's not like one of those Baron Mordo post credit scenes where you kind of can just leave it there for five years. We'll talk about that in just a second. Um, it's one of those things that you kind of need to pick up, right? Because this is what's happening. You know, this is the character now uh, in the body or whatever, whatever's going on. So yeah, I mean... On the one hand, you know, all the theories about Jake did and Jake's coming and Jake's that like it, it didn't the, the longer the show went on, the less it made sense um, to kind of have it sort of be the deus, deus ex machina that comes in at the end to save everybody and, and defeat Harrow uh, is interesting. Uh, I don't know if I liked it necessarily, but I do think it's an interesting choice. And I think that, uh, you know, if if anything, if I got anything out of the show, it is that Oscar Isaac did gave one of the best performances i have ever seen in my entire life um and that i believe that no matter where he shows up next in the mcu um as moon knight or in, in, in other projects i'm just going to be so excited to see him again so um that's sort of my thought those are sort of my thoughts on on the jake lockley thing but overall um i think the show had potential to top wandavision I think ultimately it will still nestle very firmly towards the top third of the MCU, which is now some 35 projects. Um, and that is no small feat, by the way. The top third, the top 10 to 15 projects are, in my opinion, phenomenal. Um, but I think that it could have been more. And I feel like I'm saying this with every single MCU show at this point, and I feel like a broken record. Miss Marvel, uh, spoiler alert, started out really strong, in my opinion. We're just going to have to see where it goes. I'm going to have to believe it when I see it. You know, when I see an MCU show stick the landing. Um, and Moon Knight certainly wasn't the show to do it, even though I really liked it. So those are my thoughts on Moon Knight. Uh, let me know what you guys think about Moon Knight in the comments of the podcast uh, video on YouTube or on the comments of the spoiler review itself. All right. Wait, I keep doing that. I keep hitting the up arrow instead of the down arrow. Um, here we go. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness spoiler review it's been a month. I know. I don't care. We're going to talk about it. So let's talk about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, I'm okay. I'm looking at the images now. I'm tempted to start out with Wanda, but I'm going to save my thoughts on Wanda just for just a second because that's going to be a whole soapbox onto itself. So uh, let's just sort of give some general thoughts on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, what did I think about the movie? Obviously, if you've been following on the community tab at all on my YouTube channel, you'll know that I actually did enjoy the movie quite a bit. Actually, um, and I've had some time, obviously, it's been about a month since the movie came out. I, so I had, I've had some time to really kind of think about my thoughts 
and and kind of think about what this movie is and and where it kind of stands in the mcu i'll tell you right now that in my rankings um which i update usually right after i see the movie and then kind of let it marinate and maybe change it up a little bit over the next coming days and right now it is very firmly in the middle right it's you know out of the 35 some projects that have come out of the mcu uh, it's, it's in the middle and you know the first doctor strange is also sort of towards the middle and i don't think it's because these two movies are bad necessarily i just think that they're not as good as they could be um which is fine you know we don't need uh we don't need the next i i don't know we don't need the next citizen kane to be doctor strange in the multiverse of madness it's fine uh we don't need the next infinity war to be doctor strange in the multiverse of madness but um it just means that it's in my opinion a good movie um and maybe not a great one um and that's totally fine so let's start out with with talking about the three characters on the screen right now um from left to right america chavez i think um is an interesting character i think sochi gomez plays her uh really really well and and she's pretty charismatic throughout the film uh, i think that her backstory is really interesting sort of where did she come from um what's the deal with her mother's where did she get her powers um a lot of people actually talked about how ridiculous it was that the bee kind of was the trigger um for her powers and maybe this is just personally you know just just a subjective thing as somebody who was terrified of bees myself i actually kind of bought that explanation to be honest like i would have reacted in a very similar way and probably unleashed my own powers if i had any so um again that's just a personal thing but it didn't bother me and that's you know again uh, opinions about movies and things are, are subjective so um there you go um I thought, I think that her powers will be interesting going forward. Obviously, she's being set up to be such an important figure in the MCU, being able to open and close portals into the multiverse and all that sort of stuff, which is interesting. Um, I don't know if that's going to make her completely overpowered as we get along into the MCU and she's going to have to eventually be nerfed or something like that. She's also training to be a sorcerer. Um, Ned Leeds, by the way, it has you beat America because he's just opening portals left and right and you're struggling at the end of this movie to open a portal. So there's that. Um, but overall, I think that she is a good character. Um, I don't think we saw nearly enough of her to kind of make a decision about, you know, what we think about her overall, but I will say that, you know, baseline fundamentally, Soji Gomez, uh, is a great actress. She did a great job. Um, and I think that the character moving forward will have a lot of important things to do, um, uh, throughout the MCU phases four or five, six, seven, whatever it may be. Sorry, I just had to address something really quick. Okay, um, the next character up here is Wong. Wong is, I mean, let's be clear. Benedict Wong is always great in these movies. Um, and really, Phase 4 is really becoming uh, uh, the MCU, or the, what did he call it? The Wong Cinematic Universe? Because he's been in Shang-Chi, he's been in Doctor Strange 2, he's been in Spider-Man No Way Home, he's going to be in She-Hulk. Um and I think that Benedict Wong is always great in whatever he does. I don't think he was given a lot to do in this movie, to be quite honest. I think, I mean, obviously he was captured for a bit, and then he went up to um, the uh, the castle, which I am totally blanking on the name of it right now. I would have totally lost on that, and if, if that was a trivia question, w Winder something. Anyways, uh, I'm gonna embarrass myself if I keep trying that. So um, I think he was he was good. Um, he was good as always, and he's always fun to see. I, I also really like that he's the Sorcerer Supreme. I don't think that'll last, obviously, and I really hope that doesn't mean he's going to die in the next film that he shows up in. Um, I don't think he's going to die in She-Hulk, obviously, but the next film that he shows up in. Um, 
because I think that obviously Stephen Strange is Sorcerer Supreme and they can't really have him just not be the Sorcerer Supreme for too much longer. Um, but I do like that the, the dynamic of him and Strange towards the end of just the respect that they have for one another, I think is great. Stephen Strange himself, um, I think is, is good. I think Benedict Cumberbatch is always good in the role and he gets to play a lot of different versions of himself, which is fun. Um, that being said, I I don't necessarily think this is his strongest outing, and that's why we'll get to that in just a second with, uh, nope, I keep doing that, I keep doing that, uh, where is it, there we go, uh, with the post credit scene, but I don't know how excited I am for Doctor Strange 3, to be quite honest, I'm very excited to see Doctor Strange again in the role, and I think that has everything to do with Benedict Cumberbatch, but I did mean to go back up this time, I don't think that, um, I don't think that Doctor Strange himself I don't know that I'm as endeared to him as a character on his own anymore. I think the first Doctor Strange film did a really good job. I don't know that I'm really excited to see a Doctor Strange 3 at this point in time. That might just be me. They might have some crazy concept, you know, bring in Nightmare, bring in Clea and do all that sort of stuff. Um, we'll just have to see about that. Um, but speaking of the villains, potential villains, let's talk about Scarlet Witch. Um, I know that this has been a debate that's probably about dead by now. Um, but I'm going to give my thoughts anyways, because this is my channel and I get to do that. So Wanda Maximoff, was her villain turn in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness warranted? I'm going to say absolutely. Now, I understand as, as somebody who really, really loves the character of Wanda Maximoff and really, really loves WandaVision. I mean, really loves WandaVision. I understand people being upset that she's a villain. I understand even I myself was upset that she was a villain just because I liked the character so much and seeing her do all these horrific things was not it was not easy to see. But in terms of character development, th this makes sense to me. And this, I don't want to open up The Last Jedi Can of Worms. I will. Just, just for a tiny second. I don't quite understand why fandoms in general these days have such a hard time grasping that people can change. Like, people have the ability to change. It's very baffling to me, honestly. Um, you know, with Luke in The Last Jedi, kind of thinking about how it's been 30 years since Return of the Jedi. And of course, that's not the same Luke that you saw, you know, given that everything he's, he's gone through since Return of the Jedi. It, of course, it's not the same Luke. Um, now, Wanda's a little different, obviously. Um, it's only been a couple of years. You kind of see the end of WandaVision, but I still think WandaVision set everything up that it needed that that needed to kind of go in to Doctor Strange 2. Um, and, and here's why. At the end of Wanda... So WandaVision is a story about, about grief and about the acceptance of grief and kind of letting go of, of past trauma and things like that, and I think it did that beautifully. Um... Grief, though, is not something that just goes away. You have to understand. It's not something that just dies because you accepted it. And, you know, like, if even if you go through the five stages, it's like, it's it's not just over. So, while I, while I understand the argument of, like, oh, she completed her arc in WandaVision, she's still going to grieve the loss of her of Vision and her kids, now, now, Vision not being in in, in uh, Doctor Strange two is is a, is a 
I don't know if it's a plot hole, but it's just sort of a thing that I accept as well. I, I don't know where Vision was. I think that White Vision needed to show up, or at least a multiverse Vision needed to show up to kind of, I don't know, just, I, that doesn't make sense to me either. So I'll, I'll give everybody that. But the kids, I think that at the end of WandaVision, we see her in the cabin, we see her experimenting with the Darkhold, and we see that that while she has sort of accepted that, I, I don't know, that the, that her Westview experiment was sort of not the most ideal way to go about. There is another way to get her kids. And that temptation creeps back into her mind. We know that the Darkhold is a corrupting power. Um, that sort of is sort of a writing cop-out. I'll give, I'll give it that as well. It's like, yeah, I mean, she's being corrupted by the dark side or whatever. Like, fine, you know, that's not the cleanest and most, or that is one of the more squeaky clean ways to kind of turn a, turn a good character evil. But all that to say is that everything you need to have Scarlet Witch be the villain is set up, I believe, at the end of WandaVision. Plus, and I, I, I also understand this is not explicitly said in Doctor Strange 2, it has been some time since the end of WandaVision. So it's not like the next day after Westview, she turns into this scary, evil Scarlet Witch. But, which, by the way, um, I you know, Elizabeth Olsen gives just a tremendous performance. She just gives one of the best MCU performances I have ever seen. Um, wow. She is scary. She is terrifying. And she is probably one of the best MCU villains I've ever seen. Honestly. I, I think she ranks right up there in tier one. I'm just going to say it. Um, you may disagree. That's totally fine. I think she ranks up right up there with Thanos, Killmonger, Vulture, uh, Wenwu, um, Green Goblin, probably. Um, she's right there. Um, but to have that you know, to have that understanding that it's been a couple of years she's been experimenting with the Darkhold and now she she realizes that she has a way to get her kids back, it just makes sense to me. And then to have this really satisfying, to me, now we'll talk about the writing in just a second, but to me, to have this really satisfying narrative arc of um, at the end of the movie kind of realizing that, that how far she has gone to get her kids and that her kids are scared of her now, it's just, I mean, it it's satisfying to me, you know? Um, and I think that honestly, honestly, as much as I love the character of Scarlet Witch and as much as I love Elizabeth Olsen in the role, I think she should remain dead. I think that the character has gone through enough. I think we've done just about everything we could have with this character. I think she should remain dead. Um, I, I know they won't, they're going to bring her back, but I think she should remain dead. Um, and I think that because... I like Elizabeth Olsen's turn as the villain so much is probably why I like the movie. I, I'm one of those people who like the movie, um, which I, and I understand that there are people who don't, um, on the other side, that's okay. Um, but I think it, it, a lot of it hinges on what you think about Elizabeth Olsen. Now, uh, let's talk about, I did that again. I need to stop doing that. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the Sam Raimi-isms, if you will. And then we'll get to the Illuminati and we'll talk about the post-credit scene and we will move right along. Um, Sam Raimi really put a stamp on this movie, and I think for the better. Um, some of the imagery in this movie, especially with the the Illuminati, obviously, um, was just terrifying. You know, with the way that Black Bolt died, the way that um, uh, uh, Mr. Fantastic died, and just some of the Scarlet Witch imagery um, with the oil on her face as she's walking through the hallways and just ripping Ultron bot heads apart. It's just like scary stuff, you know? Um, I also really, I'm one of those people who really love the music fight. As somebody who's played music before, I think it's just super cool um, the way that they did that. And I love the zombie strange at the end. I think that sometimes um, 
I do concur that when he's sort of giving that emotional speech to America Chavez and he's in the zombie form, it kind of looks really silly and really dumb. Um, yeah, it looks a little cartoonish, but at the end of the day, like it didn't really ruin it for me. And I think that Sam Raimi really made his definitive mark on this movie, and I think it's all the better for it, honestly. I do. Now, understanding that there are different... Well, okay, so on the one hand, understanding that there are different teams that make these movies and shows, but also understanding that Michael Waldron wrote Loki and then wrote Doctor Strange 2, it's a bit bizarre how this is all not seemingly connecting together. Um, Kevin Feige came out on the red carpet and said, oh, it's because of Sylvie and Loki that these things could happen, but it's not been made clear. Um, it's a growing problem with the MCU of how they're dealing with continuity and also with Star Wars even. We'll talk about that with Obi-Wan. Um, but yeah, it's 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 something to keep an eye out on because if the multiverse is really going to be this important, it's, it's getting very hard to follow. Um, but anyways, I think that, yeah, I think that going through the different universes and really... Um, sticking with uh, Earth A three, A three eight, I think that people had this problem of of like why didn't you go to seventy different universes? I think that grounding it in one or two actually made the story a little bit stronger. And I wasn't that uh, upset about the fact that they didn't go to seventy billion different universes at once. Though I think that the uh, the sequence of them traveling through the multiverse could have been explored a little bit more. Um, but at any rate, um, so yeah, I think that Sam Raimi. You know, given that he had to come in not last minute, but but pretty close to the end uh, of of pre production, just did a really great job. Now let's talk about the big thing in this movie, which is the Illuminati, and let's talk about just cameos in general. Um, I was very worried going into this movie that it would just be cameo central, that this movie would just be cameo after cameo after cameo, and that it would just be about who shows up next. And look, I love a good cameo as, as much as the next person. I think, though, Spider-Man Far From Home is one of the strongest, and, and you'll see why this is related in just a second. Spider-Man Far From Home, to me, is one of the greatest MC movies that have ever been made. I think it's a top 10, easily. I think it's top 5 even. I don't remember, honestly, my own rankings. But um, the reason it's so great, it doesn't have any cameos in it. I mean, until the, you know, the very end with uh, Talos and Sword. It doesn't have cameos. It's just a good movie. And, you know, honestly, I think the MCU and, and Star Wars as well has have just kind of gotten away from that whole idea of, like, let's make a good movie um, first before just putting in a bunch of these cameos. Like, Book of Boba Fett, you know, like, oh, we forgot that Boba Fett's in his own show because we had Luke Skywalker in there, so people won't notice. Well, we noticed. Um, but anyways, so I was worried about that. Um, we heard Professor X in the trailer. Here's his hand. I couldn't really find a picture of him um anyways uh i you know um where's it going with that oh yeah professor x i so so we saw professor x in the trailer and that just really made me worry because it was like okay the, if they're revealing professor x it's like oh man like how many actual cameos do they have uh turns out five and they were all part of one team so we had you know black bolt we had uh, Anson Mount playing Black Bolt, Black Bolt again uh, from the Inhuman show that bombed. Uh, we had uh, Lashana Lynch playing Maria Rambo's Captain Marvel. Haley Atwell playing Captain Carter. Um, Patrick Stewart reprising his role as Charles Xavier. And of course, we had the one and only Jim Halpert, John Krasinski playing Mr. Fantastic. And the fact that they were all part of one team, the, the Illuminati in Earth's uh, 818's universe, 
um, that they all served a purpose in the story, and they weren't just there. Like, they didn't just show up. Um, apologies if you can hear that noise, by the way, outside. Like I, like I said, we're just, we're just going with it, so um, apologies for that. But, like, you know, if the, the fact that they actually had some narrative purpose in the story and just some reason to be there and that they worked in the story and they were great and they were fun and it wasn't just cameos for the sake of cameos, I was just beyond happy. I think that this is how you do cameos. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home also, you know, like, but those weren't even cameos, you know, like Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were in the movies for 30 minutes. So like I said, you know, cameos for cameos sake is it's so dangerous. And I hope that these movies do not stray uh, towards that sort of idea of let's just put in random people that that we've seen like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, which I would have loved to have seen by the way, but he did not fit in this movie at all. Like, if Hugh Jackman's Wolverine was in the Illuminati, I would have been so confused, because he does not fit there. Um, you know, Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool doesn't fit in this movie. I I mean, he could have if they rewrote some some some, ugh, some things, but um, it just, it, it doesn't make sense narratively, and so I'm really glad about that. Um, so yeah, the movie wraps up, you know, they, they fight um, Zombie Strange fights and, and all that sort of stuff, and where's Zombie Strange? There's Zombie Strange. Um... And then we get the post-credit scenes. And to be honest, this is one of the most lackluster post-credit scenes I've ever seen in an MCU movie. Not the Bruce Campbell one. Um, and actually, I've I've heard that the Bruce Campbell one was more polarizing than this one. Um, I think the Bruce Campbell one was actually hilarious, to be quite honest. Um, I kind of understand... No, I do understand why um, a lot of people didn't like that one. Because um, it was kind of like, oh, you made a stay through the credits and stuff. You're not obligated to stay through the credits, though. And I find it kind of hilarious because it's like eight, it's like five to 10 minutes. Um, and I guess like people have places to be, but if five to 10 minutes is going to like kill your day, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Cause I think it was funny. And even if it was kind of a waste, it was like funny. Anyways, we're not here to talk about the Bruce Campbell post-credit scene. Um, we're here to talk about the other one with Charlize Theron and uh, Theron. Theron, I don't know, and uh, Third Eye Strange. I hate Third Eye. I think it's. I think it looks dumb. I think it is dumb. I. I hope they get rid of it. Like Thor's missing eye, ironically eyes everywhere. Uh, I think it looks really dumb. Clea, fine, sure. Um, Dark Dimension, sure. Incursion setup for, you know, uh, uh, Secret Wars or whatever. Um, it's fine. It's whatever. But I just. I don't care as much and i don't know why that is honestly uh i just find myself not really caring about it you know and i don't know whether or not that's because of this movie or if i just saw this scene regardless and saw it like, attached to a different movie altogether if if that would have been the case i just don't really care all that much um about all this sort of stuff and that's that's sort of the problem because the more that i think about this movie the more I equate it to Avengers Age of Ultron. When that movie came out, we all wanted to love it as much as we did the first Avengers. We all wanted to love this movie as much as Spider-Man No Way Home or Doctor Strange 1 for, for, for most of us. And it wasn't that it wasn't as good, you know? And that's fine. I mean, I mean, granted, I know a lot of people, or I, I don't know a lot of people, but I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who um, love this movie more than Spider-Man No Way Home and uh, love Avengers Age of Ultron more than they love the, the first Avengers. That's totally fine. 
Uh, I'm just saying for, for most of us, I don't think that's the case. And another thing too is that these two movies seem to be linchpins to setting up future things in the MCU. They seem to serve a similar purpose. Not that this movie was just full of setup. I think that this movie had more of a self-contained, well-told narrative. I think some of the writing in this movie is horrifically bad. Um, I don't know... I just don't understand why we're saying the themes of the movie out loud just at every single juncture, like asking Stephen Strange, you know, at the three acts, like the, the first act break and the second act break, and then at the end of the movie, are you happy? And like Christine Palmer just giving him the speech at the end of the movie about, you know, where they are in their lives and what, what she means to him. Um, I just I just think that the writing might have been one of the, the key things that made this movie a little bit lackluster. Um and I don't know if that lends to this post-credit scene being less interesting, but I just I just really don't see myself as interested in the future of the MCU. Just like how after Age of Ultron, I wasn't super interested in Thor's quest to find Infinity Stones. Um, and hopefully, just like with Age of Ultron afterwards, with, with subsequent movies, they'll get me back invested in, in the overall story, um, just like they did with the Infinity Stones, and we'll be back on board with the multiverse at some point in the near future. So uh, yeah, I think that the more I think about you know, this movie, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, it is very much akin to Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, it is sort of a good, not great story um, with a lot of characters, a lot of things going on, some kind of clunky writing, some clunky characters, some clunky things, but, you know, some great things, like a great villain in Scarlet Witch, in my opinion. Um, you know, another great performance by Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. It's always just good to see how inventive his magic can get with the music and and with the uh, giant monsters and things like that. And it's a movie that I'll probably see again, um, you know, when it comes out on Disney Plus in just a few weeks. And then I'll probably not see it again until I just, you know, I do my, my full rewatches, which, oh man, just thinking about watching 50 MCU projects is, oh man, it's crazy. Anyways, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And speaking of the next MCU project, let's turn our attention to Kamala Khan and Miss Marvel. So the first episode of Miss Marvel dropped on Disney Plus this morning. Um, I had a chance to watch it and let's talk about it. Um, this this review in particular will not be as long as the other ones. Um, we'll kind of just go through some things and we'll, we'll go through the, the post credit scene just really quickly. And then we will be on to Obi-Wan and on to Stranger Things. So this show uh it's no secret to anybody i don't think that's been watching my channel um apologies i'm gonna take a sip of water my voice is getting a little hoarse uh anyways it's no secret to anybody that this show is not close to my top anticipated mcu projects uh for phase four it really was towards the bottom and that's not to say that i didn't think that the show would be any good um i just didn't have any interest in a character who idolized Captain Marvel, who is one of my not as favorite MCU heroes. Um, again, not because she's, you know, a female or not because she's super powerful, but really just because I think Brie Larson was miscast in the role. I don't think that her performance is super great. Um, all that aside, I, you know, the Marvels is still a project that I am skeptical about because I didn't love Monica Rambeau in WandaVision. I did I didn't, don't love Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, but if there will be one saving grace to the Marvels, hopefully, at least, it will be Iman Villani as Kamala Khan. She is wonderful. Uh, we'll talk about young 
Leia in just a little bit. I think young Leia is absolutely way too young to be 10 years old. I think Kamala Khan, on the other hand, is perfect as a 16-year-old kid. I think that one of the strengths of the show, actually, right off the bat, obviously, is visually, um, as we can see with with you know shots like this and how she's she's daydreaming. Uh, full spoilers, by the way. I you know I said I wasn't gonna say it again. I'll I'll just briefly say it again. Full spoilers if you haven't seen this episode. Um, how she's kind of daydreaming and how like all the text bubbles are coming up and it's just so inventive. You know, it's so fresh to see that kind of thing. It feels obviously younger, not just with the characters, but in tone. Um, but also, I think that it it works because um, I think it works because Iman Villani plays it sincerely. You know, I think that um, Tom Holland was really good at playing sort of the like back end of high school, uh, heading into adulthood kind of kind of high school, still angsty, still teenager, still got problems. Um, Iman Villani plays sort of the more youthful, vibrant side of of high school. Um, still kind of getting picked on and all those classic tropes of superheroes and stuff. Um, but also, and hey, look at how, how all these things are connecting, kind of like Stranger Things, you know, with, with uh, Eleven and her struggles at school. It's it's really kind of, it's it's a classic trope to see a kid getting bullied at school and, and not kind of being the cool kid. But it's also really endearing to see how they, they overcome them and how their friends kind of help. And the guy who plays Bruno um, in this show, I believe his name is Bruno, um, is really good. You know, I, I really think they do a good job of establishing a close friendship in just one episode of television. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really, really enjoying that aspect of the show. I think that her parents and the culture, um, the Muslim American uh, Pakistani background of the character is really shining through. And as somebody who is not part of that background, um, it's still allowing me to understand uh, what the character is going through. Um, and, and really, there are a lot of themes in this in this show as well, even if you're not part of any of those uh, demographics or backgrounds um, that are universal as well, just sort of not being understood by your parents and and the part the, 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 the part of uh, the, the, the part of uh, what, am, what am I trying to say society that you're a part of. Um, it actually reminded me a lot of Turning Red, the Pixar movie that came out uh, a few uh, a few months ago. Uh, just sort of learning to accept who you are and, and be that unique blend of you and your parents and, and your upbringing um, that you were meant to be. Um, and obviously she idolizes Captain Marvel. Um, she wants to go to Avengers Con. Avengers Con was pretty fun, by the way. Um, again, just kind of this really wild convention based on the Avengers with the the Steve, uh, sorry, the, the uh, Tony and Natasha tribute and the giant Ant-Man head rolling around and uh, it was it was fun, you know. It was fun to kind of see it from that perspective. Um, I think that these kinds of things are what make the MCU more rich. Just seeing it from different perspectives and different people, you know, from different backgrounds. So that was really cool. Um, obviously, planning on making the costume and all that sort of stuff. It was great. Um, and yeah, let's talk about the bracelet for a second. Um, it seems like from episode one, you know, it's it's sort of in, implying that it was a family heirloom kind of a thing. I don't know if it truly was. I, I kind of get these Ten Rings vibes, like these are actually ancient artifacts that were discovered by certain people and, um, you know, giving them powers. I would be fine with that, honestly. Like if it were somehow to have been passed down through this, uh, through this family, um, you know, somewhere in history and uh it ended up with kamala just like how the ten rings ended up with uh a shang chi and maybe the two of them will kind of you know like go to go to bruce banner and say like what are these artifacts or obviously kamala would be going to, to carol danvers and things like that um 
but yeah, no, I think that that is, is really cool. I, I, I really was surprised at how charmed and endeared I was by the first episode. It's, it really will probably not be a top 10 MCU thing at all. Um, but that's okay. You know, I think it'll, it, this could end up just being one of the most fun, vibrant, rewatchable MCU projects, just based on how, um, lovingly everybody is, is really taking this show. And uh, I'm really excited about that. Now, um, really quickly before we move on to Obi-Wan, uh, who's up next, um, there was a quick post-credit scene, which was a little surprising, and it's the damage control guy from Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, I knew he was going to show up again somewhere, didn't know it was going to be episode one. I don't know why damage control um, wants Kamala in particular. I think it's cool, I guess, to have these characters showing up in other projects. I just, I'd like to know why. Um, and obviously, I'm sure they'll give a, a good reason, or maybe they won't, but they'll give a reason. And... Um, We'll see. We'll see what that is. So yeah, I'm really enjoying Miss Marvel thus far, and I can't wait for episode two. Can't believe I'm saying that, but hey, go into a show with your expectations. Um, with no expectations, uh, not no expectations. Just leave your expectations at the door, and you will most likely be pleasantly surprised. So there it is. All right, let's talk about Obi Wan. Um, I have seen episode four. It came out this morning. If you have not seen episode four. Uh, come back later, uh, save this video to watch later, uh, jump ahead to Stranger Things 4 if you've seen Stranger Things 4, um, but let's talk about Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, um, because I haven't had a chance to really talk about the whole series so far, I'm going to go through episode by episode, um, briefly going through episodes 1 through 3, and then really talking about episode 4 and my overall thoughts of the show thus far. So episode 1 opens with this incredible sequence uh, with younglings and Order 66. I think it is just so, so, such a bold move. And I, and obviously we know that, well, we don't know this, but we, we think that Reva is, Reva, Reva, I'm going to call her Reva. Um, I know, I know that they're, they're calling her Reva or something like that in the show. I'm just going to say Reva, um, if that's, um, you know, blatantly incorrect, uh, correct me in the comments, but Reva, um, is most likely one of these younglings. Um, so that's why that this, this sequence is in the show. Um, at the beginning. We'll talk about Reva later on, um, played by Moses Ingram, but um, this sequence was just really cool to watch, just to see the live-action clone troopers coming in and seeing a different perspective of Order 66 and seeing just how, you know, what the, what the Jedi Temple really looked like during that time. I think that that is such a bold way to open the show, um, and it was a little surprising to not see Obi-Wan, you know, um, not not in this sequence, but just sort of to not open the Obi-Wan show with Obi-Wan, but I still think that that, you know, it was a really fun way to do that, um, nonetheless. Now, once we do get to Obi-Wan, um, he's really a broken shell of a man. Um, he is not the same person that we saw in episode three, episode two, um, not the Clone Wars. He is dejected, he is lost, and he really does not want to connect to the Force. Now, as those of you who have been watching the channel know, I am a Last Jedi defender. I am not only a Last Jedi defender, except for the Canto Bite stuff, I think that that should have been cut out, but um, not only am I a Last Jedi defender, I am a Last Jedi Luke defender. I am not going to go out here and say that, oh, you all are loving Obi-Wan in this show, 
therefore you should love Luke and the Last Jedi. I don't think those two things are the same. So it may surprise you to, to hear that I am not one of those people who say, well, you should love Luke and the Last Jedi because you love Obi-Wan in the Obi-Wan series. I think there are two different character arcs that to me work equally as well. I, but I do want to point out just quickly before going on to other things that, that I do believe that they're they're different. Um, just different circumstances and different places in their lives. Um, that being said, I do think it's ironic that where they land up, uh, Luke and The Last Jedi and Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan, uh, are pretty similar characters, you know? I mean, Luke is a little bit more grumpy, but Obi-Wan is, is like, hey, I don't want any part of this anymore. I you know, the Force? I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so I just, I just think it's funny, you know, I, I wanted to point that out just, just because, just because I love The Last Jedi, ex again, except for Canto Bite and wanted to, I don't know, make you guys mad, whatever. Um, but anyways, I think the character development for Obi-Wan just straight off the bat is so interesting. Um, and having him be that dejected, you know, lost Jedi is a great way to start the series. Um, we move on with, uh, Joel Edgerton returning as Owen. This scene with Reva was so good so good i think this is some of the best acting that joel edgerton has done as owen and i think that this is probably some spoiler alert some of the best acting that moses ingram has done as reva throughout the series now just really quickly i know that this has been talked about before um i i just want to put in my two cents really quickly it's not going to be different than what a lot of people have been saying but i think it's important as somebody who has 700 some people subscribed to the channel and as somebody who expect you know has you know, 10, 20, 30 people listen to this, this, this video on this podcast. Um, I want to, I want to just give my two cents on this really quickly, just because I have some influence and I want to use it. Um, for those of you who, who don't know, or, or who do know at least that, uh, after the first few episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi, Moses Ingram, the actress who plays Reva, uh, a black woman, uh, got some, direct messages from people who basically said that she her performance and her acting and and her herself are not are, are just bad because of who she is and her identity and i just want to make it very clear i'm not going to you know talk about this for too much longer um but i think it's important um if anybody on this channel dislikes moses ingram's performance as reva that's fine you know, I personally don't love Moses Ingram's performance as Reva. Um, I think it's okay. Um, and so if you just simply don't like the performance based on the performance, that's fine. It's your opinion. But if anybody on this channel doesn't like either Moses Ingram or her performance because of who she is as a black woman, um, quite frankly, I don't think you should be subscribed to this channel. Um, it's not, you're, it, it's not the type of thinking that I want anywhere on my videos. I, it's, it's corrosive. I, I personally believe Star Wars has some of the worst fans in the entire fandom and it showed. Um, and if anybody has any inclination to judge another person based on their race, uh, gender, sexuality, um, identity, anything like that, just inherently calling other people certain things just because of, you know, parts of their identity, then I frankly think that you shouldn't be here, um, on this channel. 
Um, so that's all I wanted to say about that. Um, and I want again, it's a preface of me saying that I, I myself, and one of, I'm one of those people who don't really love Moses Ingram's portrayal of Reva thus far through the first four episodes. I'm obviously not going to sit here and say it's because of any part of who she is. I just don't think that I like the character that much. And so I wanted to make that clear. Anyways, let's uh, keep going. Um, the Grand Inquisitor, who we'll get to in just a second, I think is actually Rupert. Uh, sorry, his name is Rupert Friend, I think. Um, is probably more intimidating than I thought he'd be. Uh, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, we can actually, I don't think I have a slide for him yet, so or for episode two. So we'll talk about his death right now. Um, the writers have said that they are not going to ret retcon canon. Um, they've, they've assured the fans. So we'll see what happens to him. We only have two episodes left. I don't know how he's going to come back. Will he? Won't he? I don't know. Um, but you're going to have to figure it out, guys. I kind of thought, going to episode four really quickly, those tanks underneath the, uh, the Inquisitor base were, were just clones of this guy. Um, they weren't, but yeah, I don't know. I, I liked him in the first two episodes. I was kind of sad to see him go. Um, and yeah, because again, I don't think Reva's story is as compelling as it could have been. Um, but anyways, yeah, here she is again. Um, and Tatooine, kind of, you know, intimidating a bunch of people, inquisiting, uh, maybe. Um, and yeah, let's talk about Leia, you know? I think that the uh, the girl who plays Leia, Vivian Lyra Blair, I believe, or Blair Lyra, um, I will say, like I said before earlier on in the podcast, I think that she is far too young um, to be 10 years old. And that's a minor gripe, but it, it is a gripe because Obi-Wan is set up as 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. And I don't buy this girl as 10 years old, to be honest. However, kind of getting past the first couple episodes where she's running through the woods and parkouring and jumping over buildings, I think that she has grown on me quite a bit. The actress playing the playing the character. And I think that the girl does a really good job, the, the young girl who, who plays Leia. In terms of character work, though, for, on, on the side of the writers and Deborah Chow, I think that getting Leia to be the reason that Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine in the first place is a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. Because how else are you going to get him off the planet? Leia. Makes total sense. To keep her story going on for this long, it's starting to get old. It is starting to get old. Um, I, just to say really quickly before we even talk about Vader that I have adored every single second of Darth Vader on this show. And by second, I mean seconds. There have been maybe five minutes of Darth Vader on this show and zero Hayden Christensen. And that is a problem that we'll talk about in just a little bit. So I think that the Leia story should have wrapped up a while ago. You have two episodes left. Allegedly, Ewan McGregor wants us to think there are more. I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, episode two, didn't love as much. I think Kamel is really funny. He was obviously really funny in Eternals. I loved him a lot as Kingo. I think he was just playing Kamel here. Didn't really fit into Star Wars, but just a minor gripe. I don't think he'll come back in the show. Um, again, Obi-Wan just learning to use the force in episode two again, picking up Leia. I think that was really cool. And Hayden Christensen, you know, making his first appearance, quote unquote, as Darth Vader. 
that's really fun as well. I think that that scene at the end of episode two is really great. Um, and again, I think that seeing episode two back to back with episode one really helped because I think just watching episode two after having waited a week from episode one would have really been a bummer. And I'm maybe more of a big proponent on like ep releasing batches of episodes like episode one and two and then three and four and then five and six. I still think you get the conversation that you want. Um, just like how the, I think the boys recently released episodes one, two, and three of season three, and then we'll release weekly, something like that. Um, I think it works well with, with shows, you know, Stranger Things releasing seven episodes and then having us wait a month for, for the next two are, it's really annoying. Um, but I think that, you know, releasing things in batches, but not one by one, I think is a good move. So episode three, obviously, not obviously to me, obviously is the best episode of the series. Um, the confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader, and just really quickly jumping ahead to this shot. This is one of the best shots that Star Wars has ever done ever. This, this is beautiful. This, this is, wow. Um, we'll get back to that in just a second. But yeah, I think that, you know, this is the promise of the show that I think we were all given. And I'm really bummed out that we have only got two episodes left to really deliver on it. Um... Because this episode was really great. I think that this guy played by Zach Braff, who I, you know, I thought was Seth Rogen for a second. His name was Freck, I think. And then I thought that um, he was Kermit the Frog for a second. It turns out to be Zach Braff. I thought he was mm, not great. Um, there's Vader again. I'll talk about Vader in a second. Um, this sequence was awesome. I'll talk about it in a second. Um, and I think some of the conversations that Obi-Wan has with Leia are really great. Um I just don't know if, how do I put this? I, I think that the, the, the things in the episodes themselves are better than the overall story, if that makes sense. I think there are moments that will make really good pieces of Star Wars canon and lore, like Obi-Wan remembering Leia, or sorry, remembering Padme and talking to her about Leia and making good clips and things like that. It doesn't seem to be fitting the overall story as well of Vader and, and Obi-Wan that we were promised, but I mean, come on, look at that. So let's talk about Vader and Obi-Wan in this episode. I mean, everything with Darth Vader in this show has been awesome. James Earl Jones coming back and them, you know, doing whatever they did to his voice. It just, it just works so incredibly well. Um, and that confrontation with him and Obi-Wan, like, obviously, yes. Do I think he should have just walked across or like, lifted Obi-Wan over the fire and brought him to him? Yeah, obviously. Doesn't really matter that much to me. I think that it was all really great. So that leads us to episode four. This scene, I kind of jokingly uh, said to a friend that, you know, they could have done Clone Wars flashbacks with the back-to-tank just like they did with Boba Fett. I think Boba Fett kind of ruined the, the back-to-tank flashbacks because they were so frequent throughout the show. Um, I actually do really wish they did a back to tank flashback here. I kind of like the interspersed, you know, flashes between the two of them and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, I think that, you know, it could have been some, something else there, you know, something more with that. Um, I'll talk about Vader at the end. Um, yeah, like this. Okay. So this episode is, it's the weakest by far. I'll say that first, um, to me at least. I think that what bothers me about this episode and what confuses me about the show so far 
is that this is uh this is filler. Um this did not need to be in this show. And I have had this problem with so many pieces of Disney Plus content. Um and I'm I'm gonna talk about Stranger Things here. I'm gonna compare it. I know, you know, doesn't really make that much sense, but it's it's what's on my mind. I love Stranger Things. Stranger Things so far, uh, throughout three and four and a half, four or you know, three wait, wait, sorry, three full seasons and then like a a, a half, a three quarters of another season, um, which is what, eight, nine to seventeen. Um, you're gonna listen to me do math here. Um, how many episodes is that? That's um 25 plus 7 so through 32 episodes of stranger things one one episode i think is completely filler and it's obviously season two episode seven the the lost sister i think that is completely filler every single other episode is absolutely necessary that has a lot to do with the way they interweave subplots together that has a lot to do with the way that the episodes are long and that has a lot to do with the way that the show has a complete story these Disney Plus shows don't have those things, and that makes these episodes, some of them, some of these Disney Plus episodes feel wasted, and that's what this episode is. Um, it's a lot of plot, like a lot of just a rescue mission and just kind of going and rescuing Leia. This, I mean, this scene was cool with the water, um, you know, pulling the hallway. Um, this scene, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah, I... Yeah. Uh, this scene was really cool. Vader just storming in. He's furious at Reva. That's really cool. That is one of the best scenes in the entire show, by far. But these scenes just make me go, what is the point of this show? Because again, we we know what's going to happen to Obi-Wan. So you can't, if you kill off Obi-Wan, I mean, this, the, the fan base is going to riot. But anyways, um we know what's going to happen to Obi-Wan. We know what's going to happen to Anakin. We thought we knew what was going to happen to the Grand Inquisitor. I guess we don't. We know what's going to happen to the fifth brother. He's going to come back in Rebels. We know what's going to happen to Owen. We know what's going to happen to Luke. We know what's going to happen to Leia. The stakes in this show do not revolve around what's going to happen to the characters. They revolve around what the characters go through emotionally, Anakin and Obi-Wan specifically. And we haven't gotten much of that in this show. Um, and that's my problem with it so far. You know, I thought after episodes one and two that Obi-Wan Kenobi could have been the greatest piece of Star Wars content made in a long time. It's not going to be. No matter how good episodes five and six are, the overall show is not going to, it's, it's, it has its problems. I'm one of those people who don't love the Mandalorian. I like it a lot. It's too episodic. It's too serialized. It's too filler in certain places for me to enjoy it as a, as a full complete story. Um, Obviously, Book of Boba Fett. Clone Wars, I love. Clone Wars, I love. But I think the last piece of just truly amazing Star Wars content that they made was Rogue One. And the way that Obi-Wan has been going, I just don't know. I just don't know. Episodes 5 and 6, you can have the best Obi-Wan Vader stuff, and it still might not be enough. We'll have to wait and see. All right. Last thing up, and then my voice is going to die. So, Stranger Things, Season 4 volume one let's talk about it. so the way that i'm going to structure this um this uh this review is i'm going to go by groups of characters i know a lot of people have been doing that on the reviews i think it's it's the most constructive um you know 
because the the show has really split up their characters. So let's start first with the Hawkins group. Um, and then I'll kind of sort of encapsulate my overall thoughts of the show within these these separate groups. So the Hawkins group, I think, is uh, is good for the most part. I think that there are some things in there that I don't love. Um, just looking at this picture, I don't... I think that Dustin and Steve... Um, I think Steve is going to die in volume two. I'm one of those people who, given how they've built up the, the relationships between him and Dustin and him and Nancy and him and Robin, I think Steve's time is is almost up. I think that there is a reason that Dustin is sort of annoyed at Steve the entire season uh, so far, which doesn't always work. I think it kind of makes me wonder why Dustin is so mean to Steve all the time. And Steve is kind of mean back to Dustin and Steve doesn't want to be a babysitter and all that sort of stuff. It's funny, but... Um, you know, I, I think that there is a reason because it, it kind of, if Steve dies, Dustin will kind of be sad about it and all that sort of stuff. So character development, things like that. Just just a guess. Just a guess. Um, Dustin, again, I think is sort of he, the comic relief, if you will. I think he, he brings a lot more. Gate and Matarazza brings a lot more to the show than just that. Um, but I think that overall, he you know, he has a lot of really funny scenes in the show, um, which, is, which is good. Uh, I think that Maya Hawk as Robin is interesting. She's interesting because, uh, well, I think that they do expand upon a lot of the great backstory that they've given her in, in season three. I also think that just characterization-wise, she comes off as a very different character than in season three, and it might just have to do with who she's in proximity with. Um, that's kind of why I wanted her to have more scenes with Steve, uh, because in season three, you see her with Steve, and she's the assertive one, right? She's the one who is bossing him around and making fun of him and calling him, a, what's it, a dingus and like, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, and then when she's with Nancy and when she's with basically everyone else, she's just this nervous, like, talkative, rambling, you know, kind of really, really um, giving this image of, yeah, just like nervous. Um, that didn't quite seem to be the character that she was in season three. And I think it's fine. I think it works in the most, for the most part. I just think it's an interesting character change to give her. Um, Lucas, I think has some really interesting character development with the basketball team and sort of how he's a part of it with Jason and all that sort of stuff. I think it sort of goes away towards, towards the end, but I think it's fine. I think that they gave him a lot more to do than he had in previous seasons. And I'm really glad for it. Um, this scene was funny. Um, when they're talking to the police, that was, that was good. Um, this scene was also funny when Dustin jumps over the counter, um, to get to the computer. Um, but the, the character that I think stands out the most easily is, uh, Sadie Sinks, Sadie Sink as Max. Um, her performance, obviously in the Dear Billy episode, um, obviously, but she overall throughout the season just gives a dynamite performance and i am so glad because max was one of those characters in seasons two and three that i was like a little i was a little iffy on um i liked her more and more as we got along seasons two and seasons three and season four just really really expands upon the character in a beautiful way with the trauma and the loss that she feels with billy and the way that vecna preys upon that um and overall, I think that the Hawkins group is really staying true to what Stranger Things is, right? The mystery element of of, of going to the Creel house and, and figuring things out um, and trying to figure out this mystery of, of what's happening in Hawkins and why is Vecna coming and things like that. So I think that this group and their storyline works really well for the most part. 
Um, okay, let's talk about my least favorite storyline. Let's talk about these these guys. Um, Jonathan, Will, and Mike. Um, yeah, we'll talk about we'll talk about uh, where is he? We'll talk about Argyle in just a little bit. But Jonathan, Will, and Mike. This this storyline is not good, and it it bums me out because I love these characters, right? I love Jonathan, I love Will, and I love Mike. These characters are not good in the season. I don't know why. I don't know what happened to them. Um, I do know that they're not good, and that is a bummer. Um, because so let's I mean let's go from left to right, right? I mean, first of all, so they're first of all they're on the run for most of the season, and their storyline kind of just becomes superfluous at a certain point. And literally, as much as I love episode seven of season four, the Masquerade Hawkins Lab, um, about twenty minutes in, I realized that we hadn't cut back to this storyline. And then about forty minutes into the hour and forty minute episode, I realized no, we still haven't cut back to this this storyline. And the more we got onto it, the more I realized we weren't going to cut back to the storyline. And I think the writers just kind of didn't know what to do with these characters. And that's really kind of a bummer. Um, but anyway, so so let's start with Jonathan on the left. Jonathan is one of the most disappointing characters to me in this entire season. I, I understand kind of the joke of going like, you know, going to California and becoming more of like a stoner and, and bringing in Argyle and things like that. I think there are some funny scenes, like the, the scene at the dinner table with Joyce. Um, that being said, it doesn't seem, it seems like they just didn't know what to do with the character because the sort of on and off stuff he has with, with Nancy that's sort of addressed at the beginning is so bizarre to me. Um, and I just, I don't quite know how to, to think about it. Like, I, I personally don't love the idea of Nancy getting back together with Steve, even though I love Steve. I think Steve needs to find his own people and his own identity if he's not going to, you know, die at the end of the season. And I think Nancy needs to be with Jonathan, like, not just because of any arbitrary reason, but just because they've that's what they've set up in the show. So, you know, shared trauma, right? Um, and I think that the, the on and off, on and off, and on and off thing, again, is just artificial drama at this point, if Steve survives season four, or even if, or even if Jonathan survives season four, he may not, he, Nancy might not, who knows. Um, but I think it's bizarre. I, I really do. Will, again, doesn't have much to do. I think he has some feelings for characters, maybe Mike, or maybe L or, no, wait, no, what I'm saying. Mike has, Mike has feelings for L. um, Will might have feelings for Mike. I, you know, it, it, it'll get complicated. Sorry. We've been going for like an hour and 20 minutes. I'm saying random stuff. Um, anyways. Um, and then there's Mike, um, who I don't understand why he can't say, I love you to L after everything that, and by the way, before I watched season four, I binged all of seasons one through three again, um, for like the third time. It is amazing by the way. And 11 says, I love you at the end of season three. So I don't understand what is going on here that he can't say it back to her. It seems bizarre. It seems weird. It seems unnatural. Is that the right word to say here? Um, yeah, it just, it feels like these characters, they just didn't know what to do with them. And then they, 
Uh, again, we'll talk about Argyle in just a little bit. And then they, they go to Utah. And it's it's hard. You know, it's hard to really get behind this group. And it's it's a bummer because I really like these characters. But again, um, I, I like the beginning part a little bit more with where they're all together here, um, you know, in, in California and things like that. Um, but again, just, I don't know. Not my favorite. Not my favorite arc at all. Um, 11. Let's talk about 11. I think 11L has some really good stuff in this series, this this season. I also think that some of the stuff gets dragged on because, um, to be quite honest, a lot of it is flashback, right? Like, it's it's a really... It's an interesting way to, to, to give backstory because if you think about it, this entire season is just L flashback for her character after, like, episode three. Um, and while I think they do it well... I think also, uh, you know, obviously we'll get to Vecna. We'll get to Henry in just a second. Oops. Um, but I think that on the one hand, I'm impressed with how well they give the backstory and make it feel like it's an integral part of the story, which it is. On the other hand, it's just backstory. It's exposition, right? Um, I think Millie Bobby Brown obviously gives a great performance. Again, she always does. Uh, I just, I'm... I'm a little torn on this character arc, to be quite honest with you. Um, so there's that. And then we got Joyce and uh, Murray and Hopper. Another character arc that I think was dragged on way too long. I think it's fine. Well, so, okay, first of all, I think the Joyce and Murray stuff is much more interesting than the Hopper stuff because they actually have things to do. Like, getting Hopper himself is so interesting. It's much more interesting. I think Yuri, the stuff with Yuri is funny. Hopper, I don't think, has anything really interesting to do in this show. And that's such a bummer because seasons one through three, Hopper was the character, right? He was the main character of the series, basically. I mean, aside from Eleven. Um, and him and Joyce were, were really leading the first two seasons, and they kind of took the, the backseat in the third season, but they were still doing things with Alexi and with Murray. Um, the fact that through seven episodes, we, we've just finally got to the Demogorgon fight and they're just finally maybe getting out of the prison it feels like a wasted opportunity um to to you know I think there's a line where Hopper says something like maybe I can help Eleven I, I don't know how you're helping Eleven by killing one Demogorgon maybe we'll we'll see how um that factors in later on in the series I don't know um but again it's just it felt like it felt like a wasted opportunity um and here he is with his with his buddy. I, I like their interactions. I don't I don't dislike watching any of it. I just think it got dragged on for for way too long. Let's talk about the new characters. I I picked the the goofiest picture of Eddie. I'm sorry you're gonna have to stare at this for just just a few seconds. But I think Eddie really grew on me as the series went on. Um, I thought he was very weird and eccentric and just kind of the crazy guy, the outcast of high school. Um, sorry. Um, at first, and I really got to like him through his vulnerability. I don't know if he's going to be elevated to Steve and Jonathan status, and you know, by the end of the the season, maybe. Um, but I, I did really like him. Argyle, on the other hand, I didn't love, and maybe that's just part of the reason. It's just because he's part of that weird storyline with uh, Will, jo uh, Will, Jonathan, and Mike, where they're just kind of going around the country and finding Susie and and going on a goose chase to find Eleven. Um, I don't know. I don't, maybe I just don't love the performance by Eduardo Franco, I believe is the actor's name. 
I, I just, I don't love Argyle. But um, wrapping up the show, and, and again, tying in all of my cumulative thoughts on the show is Vecna. So we have all of these storylines that are converging, but the one thing that holds them all together is Vecna. And this is what Stranger Things does so well, is that it has all of these plot points and plot elements and characters and, and stories, but it's all tied together by one continuous thread. It could have been the Mind Flare, Billy, uh, um, Will and the Mind Flare. It was the Demogorgon in season one, and now it's Vecna. And I love Vecna. The, the, the kills are, are gruesome and horrifying and, and just show how terrifying this character is. Um, obviously, we get the revelation that it is Victor, uh, Victor Creel's son, Henry, um, who, who is revealed to be one, which is I mean, just such a great twist, I think. I Yeah, you know, the ending was a little exposition, exposition heavy of him just kind of telling everything to Eleven. But I think that the way that they finally... Um, begin to wrap things up into the show and make it feel as satisfying as it does is so impressive. They've been able to do that for all three seasons before. It's truly impressive how they're able to do that. Um, and I think that while I have questions about the Vecna twist, sort of like what he has to do with the previous three seasons and how he factors in, because I think Dustin um, called him the Mind Flayer's five-star general. Is that true? Is that just Dustin's speculation? Is Vecna actually just a pawn to somebody else? I don't, I don't know. Um, but regardless, I think that, I mean, look, just look at that design, and it's mostly practical too, which is crazy. Um, that this is this really encapsulates my my thoughts on Stranger Things. Is that, you know, there are messy things, right? There are things that I don't th I don't like as much. Here's Argyle for one. Here's uh, you know, Popper for another. Um, here's this storyline with these three for, for another. Um, but at the end of the day, what Stranger Things is able to do is just wrap it up together in such a nice, satisfying, uh, um, cohesive way that makes it feel like it's all one giant story that's unraveling itself as you go along. And that's what I think television is really, really for, right? You know, it's not to tell a movie in six parts, really. I'm sorry, Marvel, it just, it isn't. Um, it's really to do this, to explore characters, you know, to to really, where is she? There he is. To explore characters in depth like Max, um, to give character interactions that we haven't seen before, um, you know, to to give more backstory, to, to go on side adventures and to, you know, introduce new characters and, and ultimately have a story, have a point. And I think that that is what Stranger Things season four volume one does so well i think episode seven and four are easily the best ones of the entire season obviously episode four dear billy carried by sadie singh's performance beautiful i think episode seven was just great in the revelations and i can't wait for eight and nine and with that guys that is it we have done it my voice is about to go um so it's it's about a good time to wrap up uh, today's episode of the Access Blockbusters pod. I know we ran a little bit long, but again, I wanted to get out all these reviews for you guys um, before we head out for the next episode. I don't think the next episodes will be as long as this one. I just wanted to, it was a little bit of a catch-up episode, you know, going through all the things that we uh, we had missed and talking about all of them in as much detail as I could. So if you enjoy this episode, if you're looking forward to things over the summer, uh, please be sure to subscribe, give the video a like. If you like the video, uh, format with the all with all the images and all that sort of stuff make sure to let me know in the comments down below if you didn't like it if you hated it uh, also let me know in the comments down below 
um, and I will be sure to go back or, or make some changes. Um, and with that, guys, that is about it. Let me know what you'd like to see in, in future episodes. If you have questions, leave them down below, and I will see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.